I'm glad that you're here today to behold our God. He drives everything. We are here to behold Him. We are here to behold Him. Not to hear me. We're here to behold Him. We're here to look at His Word. Look what He has said. We're here to elevate God. And we are blessed when we do so. Please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We are getting a little bit of a late start uh, today. I appreciate your patience. Begin reading in chapter 12 verse 1. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there. And Martha was serving, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas, Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intended to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now he was not saying this because he was concerned about the poor but because he was a thief, and as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there and they came not for Jesus' sake only but for so that they may see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also because on account of him many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. September the 11th, 2001, there was a series of four uh, coordinated attacks upon the United States of America. Nineteen men launched this attack, and they were from the group of Al-Qaeda. We really didn't even know much about this group, at least I did not. These terrorists that hated the United States, and they launched an attack with four planes, They hit a couple of our buildings in New York City, uh, the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. Almost 3,000 people were killed on that one day, on that one single day, that event. And we learned that there were sleeper cells here in America. There were people here that did not like America. There were people here that wanted to kill us. And they were among us and we did not even know it. They were like moles. These are terms that we really had never heard before, sleeper cells and moles. and What is is that? And these cells, we were told, they were were just to kind of blend in until the right time and then they would act and create terror and wreak havoc upon 
the United States. We read here this man, Judas. He was, he was a mole, if you will. He was one that was an inner circle. And he was planted there by Satan himself. And in this particular passage, we see his heart being revealed. His heart is being exposed just a little bit, at least to Jesus. Maybe everyone didn't see it, but the heart was exposed. And I think everyone else probably did see it, who this man really is. Now that fits with what John is trying to tell us about this book. In this book, he is trying to... uh, communicate to us. He is trying to teach us about belief and how important it is to believe in Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm going to give you seven miracles of Jesus Christ to help you believe. These are written so that you may believe. But beyond that, he's wanting us to understand belief and what it is. That it's not just a matter of doing, but it's a matter of the heart Judas was here. He was doing the right things. He was part of the right group, but his heart was definitely far from the Lord. And so John is teaching us that genuine belief is seen in our actions and our attitudes. It will eventually come out, belief will. Genuine belief will come out. What is in our hearts will eventually will eventually come out in our words, in our actions, in our attitudes, really of everyday life. And Jesus said the same thing. He said um, in Luke chapter 6, uh, talking about the good tree is going to produce good fruit. A bad tree is going to produce bad fruit. You're not going to get bad fruit from a good tree or good tree, good fruit from a bad tree. That's just because it's, it's what the tree is. It's what the tree is. Now, we may say, I love Christ. We may, we may make that claim. Judas made that claim. But if we're not pursuing a relationship with Christ, that kind of reveals what's going on in our heart. There's a question of loyalty. There's a question of commitment. There's a commitment level there. There's a problem. Now, everywhere Jesus went, people would respond to him differently. But he had a polarizing effect. There would, be, there would be those who, on the extreme, those who hated him, those who loved him. And it would divide. It was dividing Israel. And according to the Israel's leaders, the spiritual leaders, it's tearing the nation apart. Now, I think that's a little extreme. I think they were more to blame. But there was two extremes. And you see these two extremes right in this passage. You see an extreme expression of love. And you see an extreme, another extreme expression of love. But it's a love of self. It's not a love of Christ. And it's really a love, it's a hate, an extreme hate, hatred of Judas for Christ. And and here's what I want you to see. What you truly believe, what you truly believe about Christ will come out or, or become obvious in your daily life. What you believe about Christ is eventually it's going to come out just like Judas here. And these ladies. In fact, everybody here, all of this in this past passage kind of reveals where they are concerning Christ. If, if you are a Christian, 
If you claim to be a follower of Christ, if you're a disciple of Christ, it will change the way you do things. It will change your daily life. It will do that. It should do that. Because it changes who you are. Do you get that? It, it changes what you do on a daily basis because it changes who you are. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a different person. So you act differently on a daily basis because of that change. Not because of some change that you're trying to just put on. There's a difference. There's a difference. Judas saw Christ on a daily basis. He was with Christ. He heard Christ's teaching. He heard, he saw the miracles, but he was not changed. He was not the, uh, a different person. He was not a different person. And we need to see that. John wants us to see that. That's what true belief in Jesus Christ does. That's what it produces. Not just change in behavior. It does change our behavior, but it changes behavior because it changes our person, who we are. Now, there's two major groups. You see that in this passage. Two major groups. Those who love Christ, those who hate Christ. And we'll look at the individuals here, but there's some essential principles here that I think that... Uh, we need to know that are very important here. Let's look at the first one. Martha's act of service. Martha's act of service. Now, verse 1. Jesus therefore said, or Jesus therefore, six days before the Passover. Now Jesus, uh, says, went into Bethany six days before the Passover. This was God's timing. He he was avoiding Jerusalem. He was avoiding that area because of the pressure, because of what was going on there. And now it's time. And so he goes up. He's going to the Passover. And he, on his way to the Passover, on his way to Jerusalem, he stops in Bethany, which is about two miles away. This is God's timing. He is ready. Six days before... Six days before... The Passover lamb is to be slain. And Jesus will be that Passover lamb. He is going to be that Passover lamb. Six days from this point. And you see Jesus' ministry radically changed from a, a public ministry to a very private ministry. Those whom he loves and his disciples, he focuses on them during this last week. We call this Passion Week. Passion Week. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany. He came to to Bethany. Now, you need to understand a a few more details here. There's another account of this same event in Matthew chapter 26. And let me just read this passage for you so you can kind of see the, the whole picture here. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany, at the home of uh, Simon the leper... A woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume. And she poured it on his head and he, as he reclined at the table. But his disciples were indignant when they saw this. And they said, why the waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus 
Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed, a good thing to me. Good deed to me. Now let's turn back over to our passage. You kind of get a fuller sense here. He's coming into Bethany. That's the home of, of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. But he's, he's, at, he's not at their house. He's at Simon's house. But look what it says. It's at Simon's house. Now, we know, don't get these two events mixed up. There's another recording of this, not, not the same event, but Jesus was anointed by another woman, and it was at a different place and a different time. It was in Galilee, not Bethany. It was early in his ministry. This is late in his ministry. And it was at the house of a Pharisee. Is that a house of a Pharisee? This is at the house of Simon. And the anointing was done by a woman who is known as a, a sinner. So there's two different occasions here, but the Gospels has at least two, uh, two recordings of this particular event. Later in Jesus' life, six days, or in his ministry, six days before the Passover. So you get the scene. They're at Simon's house, Simon the leper. Now I have to just say, he was probably not a leper at that time. He was probably one of those who were healed, who was healed by Jesus. If he was a leper, he would not even be allowed in the community. He would have to be on the outside of community. And he probably would not own a house and uh, he would be an outcast, basically. But it was probably one of those who Jesus had healed, a former leper. Now look at verse 2. So they, so they made him a supper there. And Martha was serving. They made him a supper. There was a, there was a group of believers there. A group of people that loved Jesus. And, and that created an environment, really, which I see as an early part of the church, an early form of the church. And, and they know, they know the pressure that Jesus is under. They know that they have already made these edicts, uh, that they're going to kill Jesus. And they've already made that known. And uh, they want to spend these, this time with Jesus. Simon was there. The disciples were there. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus was there. And there was probably others in this, in this house, and they're reclining at this table. But it, notice, it says Martha was, Martha was serving Martha, every time you see her, she was, she was serving. That was probably her giftedness. You see that in Luke chapter 10. She was doing the same thing and she's, she's serving. She was a, she was busy. Sometime maybe to a fault, but I believe that was her giftedness. And we see that uh, in Romans chapter 12 that serving is a, a gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. The work, uh, or the Holy Spirit works in some people's lives, gives them this gift of service, and He gives those people to the church because there's much service to be done in the church, and you see that. And service is a, is a big part of that. And we see that really, it's numbered throughout uh, the, the spiritual gifts. And she has this gift. She just, she's serving. This is not even her home, but she's serving. Okay? You get the picture. Now, it's not like the disciples. The disciples, and if you remember, if you turn over to just one chapter over, the last supper, the, the end of the week, the, the last night there, right before the Passover, Jesus has the disciples together. 
and they're eating a dinner. And what happened? They look at each other. I'm not going to serve you. No way. I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And so no one had washed anyone's feet. They, they, would, they would not humble themselves to do that. So what Jesus did, chapter 13, verse 5, he said, he picks up the, the, and pours water into a basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet. It's humiliating to them. Humiliating. Simon figures it out and he says, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And you know that story. Look at verse 13 though. And Jesus does all of these things, puts the water in the basin down and, and this. And he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash the feet, other, one another's feet. Now the problem was a, a, pri- a problem of pride. They would not humble themselves to serve the other, uh, to serve one another. And he says, verse 15, For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Now, some people would say, well, the example is washing the feet. And so they, they wash people's feet in their church service. But that's not, that's not it. You're missing the point. If that's, the way, if that's the way they take it, they're missing the point. Jesus is saying, I am setting forth an example of service. And you need to do that. You need to learn to serve one another. And that's what Mary was doing. She was serving. And Jesus, He wanted that implemented into the Christian environment. So He puts it. It's it's part of the, the gift of the Spirit. It's the example that Jesus sets. And in fact, it's commanded. We see it commanded really kind of throughout Scripture that we, we serve one another. Jesus set the tone. Jesus set the example that we serve one another. Paul, the apostle, he's known, he, he labels himself, he titles himself a servant of Jesus Christ. And so does Peter. And so does James and Jude and John. And many of the rest. They were just servants. They saw themselves as servants. Mary was, Mary was serving here. You're in chapter 13. Turn back to chapter 12, verse 26. Here's a little promise that's really interesting. If anyone serves me, he will follow me. And where I am, there my servants will be also. The point is serving Christ. It says where I am, my servants are going to be there. They're going to follow me. They're going to be there. They're serving Christ, right? If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. They're elevating service. In the Christian community, service is put on a high platform. And it's because of Christ. Christ says, I did not come to be served, but I come to serve. Mary is a good example here. But she's just doing what comes naturally when you love Christ, isn't she? That's her giftedness. That's what she wants to do. And she, she's serving. She's loving Christ in a very tangible way. How are you loving Christ? How are you serving Christ? Now, in Scripture, when you want to serve Christ, you serve His church. Jesus told Peter, he said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord. Feed my lambs. 
Peter, I'm going to be leaving and I need somebody to take care of my church, feed my lambs, teach my people, serve my church. So if you are serving the church of Jesus Christ, you're serving Christ. And if you want to serve Christ, you, you serve the church. And it's a very tangible thing. Now, I, I mentioned that... Uh, Service is a spiritual gift, and I believe it is. It's a spiritual gift. It's something that that uh, some, some people, boy, they just see what needs to be done, and they just jump right in and, and just are able to do it. And we have we have servants, true servants here, and we try to elevate them. We want to elevate them at Daniel's Bible Church and give them a title of of deacon. But we're all to be we're all to be servants. But now here's here's what I don't want us to I want us to understand a proper use of spiritual gifts. We don't have spiritual gift of service in the church just so that we can sit back and watch other people serve. That's not the point. The point of spiritual gift is is um, we we sit back and in our church I believe that for for many many years probably close to thirty forty years J D and Pat have served this church. They're very good examples of just pitching in, doing what needs to be done, and, and serving and faithfully this church. Now the point is, is not just to sit back and watch them serve. The point of spiritual gifts is to serve the church, to help the church, so that, so that here's what we do. We look at the models that were given to us. That, and we say, that's the way to serve. Oh, I get it now. So that we become balanced. It's the same with mercy. I might not be the most merciful person, but when I see people with the gift of mercy and I look and I just, I'm amazed. And I say, wow, that's how it's to be done. So that these spiritual gifts, they're here among our church and we serve one another and we, we learn from those. We learn what mercy is. We learn what serving is. We learn those things from one another. We don't sit back and do this, well, okay, I don't have the gift of service, so somebody else is going to serve me. That's not, that's not it at all. We learn from them. I, I'm a pastor. I, I try to serve the church by, by presenting the Word of God faithfully every Sunday. All of us. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called to serve. You're called to serve His church. You're called to serve Christ. And by doing so, you will serve His church. How are you doing? How are you doing? Let's move on. So Martha was serving. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. Now, Now, that doesn't... Let me show you what's going on here. Lazarus had been just raised from the dead, right? Been raised from the dead. And, and he's trying to get his, his mind around what just happened to him. Because he's been elevated. Everybody wants to see Lazarus, right? Now, if I was in that situation, I would be spending as much time with Jesus Christ as possible. Lazarus is trying to interpret what happened to him. And the best one to, to give an interpretation of what happened to him is Jesus Christ. Not himself, not his own perspective, not his own limitations and his own viewpoint. But he's, he's, he's got to be with Christ. I want to hear every word that he says. 
Lazarus is going to be put on the spot. So he better be with Christ. And I completely agree with that. You know, just as far as application, we, we have to be very careful when we have experiences to make sure they are interpreted by Christ, by God's Word, and not from our own interpretation of what has happened to me. I think some people um, miss that in our day, and they, they have these experiences, and, and uh, they just use their own interpretation of those experiences instead of going to Scripture. Now let's move on. We've got Mary to look at. Mary's act of sacrifice. Mary's act of sacrifice. Look at verse 3. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped His feet with her hair. And the house uh, was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Nard was... uh, Nard was pulled out of the tree roots of a special tree that's uh, grown only in the mountains of northern India. So it was very costly because it had to be transported that far. In fact, we'll see, it's 300 denarii. And, and one denarius would be a day's wage. So you're talking about a, a basically a year's wages worth of perfume here. It wasn't a whole lot. It wasn't a big bottle. It says uh, a, a pound. Now, it's not a pound in our weight. It would be a pound in Roman weight, which is about 12 ounces. But it was still a lot. It's very, very, very costly. In fact, it was, a, it was a huge sacrifice to her. A huge sacrifice. And this was a, a sizable portion of her net worth. That, that's the way we would look at it today. It was pure nard. It wasn't watered down or some kind of fake version. It was pure nard. This was an expression of her heart, wasn't it? She didn't sit down and calculate, hmm, how much can I give Jesus? Um, let me see. I'll, I'll give him this much. I, I don't see that at all. I think this is... You, you just don't, don't get that sense here. You, you just see her, an expression of love and worship... And and the sacrifice probably is even a second thought. It was very costly. But you know what? It was also very humbling. She washes his feet. That's a very humbling thing. But she does it with her hair. Now in the Jewish culture, a lady's hair would never... They would never let their hair down. They would never drop their hair. It would just... The, the dignified lady would never do that. It would be kind of indecent and maybe even immoral in some circumstances. But you know what? There was no shame there. This was her Savior. I mean, talk about, behold our God. She got it. She got it. She understood that Jesus was going to die. They're going to kill him. She's got to, she wants to preserve that body. And Jesus picked up on what she was doing. But there was, no, there was no shame there. She didn't care. She just did it. It was an expression of love from the heart. She loved Christ. We see it through her sacrifice. Let me point out one verse, and we'll try to move through this quickly. Mark chapter 14. This is in the other account. Mark chapter 14, verse 9. Jesus says, and this is a commentary after, uh, after in Mark's uh, record. He says, Truly, truly, I say, 
to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, you get that? The gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Because of this huge sacrifice, because of this noted act, she is put in Scripture and she is memorialized. Listen, I'm not sure that we understand sacrifice and the importance of sacrifice today. David, I like what David said um, when he was um, told by the, the um, prophet Gad to go up and, and David, I want you to go up and I want you to, um, to have a burnt offering to the Lord. And David said, yes, I will. And he says, it's to be on this certain um, threshing floor and it was owned by uh, Aruna, the Jesuit. And David goes up and he says, uh, uh, let me buy this, this property from you so that I can, I can have a, um, an altar on this. And I, I'll buy some cattle so I can make an offering to the Lord. And of course, Aruna says, no, look, you don't have to buy it. I, I will give it to you. He wants to sacrifice. But look what David said. However, the king said to Aruna, no, but I shall buy it from you for a price. It's got to cost me something, David says. For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. Now, folks, I, I don't think we think like that today. I don't think that's, that's the Christian environment that we live in. Man, we want our cake and we want to eat it too. We want, we want it. It's all about us. Sacrifice. What sacrifice? There's no place in sacrifice in American Christianity. Ministry is sacrifice. Ministry, you're sacrificing your time. When you're serving Christ, you're sacrificing your, your effort. And your time, your energy, your attention. Sometimes you may even sacrifice your pride. Sacrifice your dignity. There's sacrifice to be involved. Because it it shows a level of commitment. It shows a level of, of loyalty. It reflects a heart that loves Christ. Now can you fake that? Yes, you can fake that. And I'm not calling for a bunch of fakeness. This has to come from a heart. And it, this came from a heart that loved Christ. Christ comes first. You, you know, we, we meet on Sunday, the first day of the week. Why do we meet on fun, Sunday, the first day of the week? Because the early church, when they first started meeting, the first day of the week was Resurrection Sunday. That's when Christ died. We will sacrifice one whole day. We will give one whole day to the reading and teaching, preaching of God's Word. And it's going to be the first day of the week. That sacrifice. We're called to serve and we're called to sacrifice. Next week, you're going to be hearing from Nate and Sue Kripe. You know what? They're, they're willing. They're getting ready to sacrifice the American lifestyle to go and live somewhere else. Somewhere on the mission field. And you're going to be asked to, to help them along. And sometimes that's going to take sacrifice. 
It's going to take sacrifice. I believe that, you know, we get so comfortable coming to church and listening that, that that's just where we stop. But true love is demonstrated in, in our actions and what we do in the way we serve Christ and our willingness to sacrifice for Him. And when we want to love Christ, we want to sacrifice to Christ, Christ says, love my church. It starts with the church. And that's, that's where we are. I've gotten through two points. Obviously, <laughs> I'm not going to get through the next three. So I think we're going to have to pick up Judas Iscariot next week. But I want you to see that. There's two groups in this passage. The first group we've looked at. The first group is a, is a group that loves Christ. They love Christ. They want to be with Christ. They know that His time on earth is, is precious and it's, and it's growing to a close. They see it. It's imminent. And they say, we want, to be Christ, we want to be with Christ and they have a supper for Him. Man, that just sounds like the church, doesn't it? That just sounds like the church. The church isn't even there yet. But, but, uh, but boy, the, the same elements are there of serving one another and sacrificing for Christ and loving Christ and this type of environment. If I was living in Christ's day, I would want to be at this. Now next week we'll look. There's a whole group of people that hate Christ. They hate Christ with the same passion that we love Christ with. And let me just challenge you. How are you serving? How are you serving Christ's church? How are you sacrificing for Christ? Is it in some kind of tangible way? I, I think we have an easy religion. I think we do. And anytime we, we put any kind of works on it, ah, boy, that's, that's, that's works, that's not grace, so I can't do that, you know, it's all about grace, and I, I'm not going to... I don't want to work my way to heaven, so I'm not going to do anything. That's not the way to think, is it? not the way to think. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Father, we, this is your word, and, and Lord, it's gone out today. It, it's, just, it's just, it's messy. It's not complete. It's not, but Lord, I just pray that you would take it and use it for your glory in, in the hearts of these people, in, the heart, in my own heart, Lord. It's convicting. How much do I love you? Am I willing to sacrifice? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.